is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. Last year was chaotic, weird, to say the least, for students, teachers, and parents, but that didn't mean they were off the hook for those standardized tests that everyone just loves so much. Ah, the memories, Shayna. I still have nightmares to this day about number two pencils and not being able to sharpen them correctly. Uh, And speaking of nightmares, uh, we're getting the first glimpse of data from the state's M-STEP exam from last school year. And It's not great. Scores dropped in math and social studies for all grades tested. The only glimmer of good news was that reading scores for older students actually improved slightly. This has some people really concerned about so-called learning loss during the pandemic. But some folks in the education world say there's a lot of context missing here if you just look at the raw numbers. And for that, we'd like to welcome Robert McCann, executive director of the K-12 Alliance of Michigan. Bob, welcome to Mishmash. Thanks, Jake. Uh, Nice being with both of you today. So what are some of the biggest takeaways for you in this new data that we're seeing from last year's state assessments? The biggest takeaway for me is that this test gives us a very incomplete and probably inaccurate view of of just what students went through. When this test was being given uh, back in the spring of this year, we argued very strongly that it made little sense to even take the time out of our classrooms to administer this test, because ultimately the M-STEP is a test designed to track a student's progress from year to year in a typical classroom progress environment. And last year, of course, was anything but typical. So we knew if we were to give students this test, it was going to show struggles. But what it wasn't going to show us necessarily is why students were struggling, because in a year of pandemic learning where they were going back and forth between class and remote learning, We knew students would struggle, but they're struggling for different reasons. Some may have just struggled because of the online environment. Others were struggling with social and emotional needs that weren't getting met in the environment they were learning in. So just looking at these results, yes, of course, students were struggling. That was never in question. But what it's not telling us necessarily is ultimately what any individual student may need to get back on the path towards success. So the results are what they are, but ultimately they aren't giving us a very good and complete look at what any student went through last year. So what do educators need to keep in mind? Is this still a tool that they can use? Or, um, you know, is this something that can be helpful in any way? Uh, Or should they just ignore, essentially, these numbers? Well, data is data. and And I'm not suggesting that it should be ignored. But it's just incomplete. And that's the most important thing to remember here is that Ultimately, the test became optional. So a large number of students never even took the test. Uh, Other students were taking it online in in an environment that was frankly uncontrolled and we don't know how it was ultimately being taken. That's again, not how this test is ultimately designed to be taking. And most importantly, it was tracking progress of lessons they may not have even gotten to at that point in their studies because again, it was not a typical school year. So uh, you know, we'll take a look at the results and of course, you know, we'll we'll learn what we can from it. But the most important thing that that we have to keep in mind here is that given every student struggled differently over the last year, we're not going to have complete ways of knowing what we need to do to help them until we start getting them back into class like we're doing right now and start working with them one on one. And that's the more important thing here is making sure we're understanding what every single individual student needs to move forward from this. And that's ultimately not in these results that that were released this week. 
So one of the things we anticipated and have been seeing for some time now are the racial and economic disparities that exist in terms of how the pandemic has hurt students. And these numbers seem to reflect that. How concerned are you and the districts you represent about that? It's always an issue that that Michigan has struggled with, frankly, since, you know, for the decades now in terms of some of these disparities in learning. Some of it goes back you know, to the core of how we fund public education in Michigan, that there are these gaps. And, you know, thankfully, there has been some progress in that, particularly this year, where we saw the actual equity gap in terms of state funding closed, uh, which is something that we've been working towards for for decades now, frankly. But there's still, you know, some glaring examples of, of what the problems still are that became, you know, too obvious to avoid when the pandemic hit. And a lot of that has to deal with technology in the classroom and obviously outside the classroom. We had many districts uh, that had a significant technology gap for their students when all of a sudden classes were moving online very quickly last year. And it took those districts longer to be able to start delivering coursework effectively to students uh, than it did in other districts. And it wasn't just being able to get them a laptop or a tablet or whatever. Many of these students didn't have reliable internet access in their house to even access that material from. So those districts were doing anything they could, which included delivering coursework by hand uh, to mailboxes and doorsteps and printed out materials to try to help these students. But it's just not as good of a replacement as students that had easy access to technology, reliable internet, uh, and, a, and, a, and, you know, frankly, a stable home environment to be able to learn from for hours a day in a quiet environment conducive to learning. Bob, one of the things that I'm really curious about with these new numbers is about what it means for Michigan's third grade reading law, uh, which says that third graders essentially must be held back for another year if they don't pass. And according to these numbers, less than 43 percent of third graders pass the English language arts test. Um What's your reaction to that? And, and should we expect most third graders to go through this process of having to, you know, their, their teachers decide whether they have to be held back now because of this law? Well, first of all, the third grade retention law that was passed a few years ago is something we oppose very strongly to begin with. Uh, there is no uh, uh, there is no academic study out there that suggests that actually holding a student back and punishing them for a lack of progress is in their best interest overall. And certainly when you looked at, you know, this past year, which became the first year this law was actually implemented and those letters were sent out by the Department of Education, doing it for the first time in a year of pandemic learning in which younger students in particular struggled with the online component of learning it just made little to no sense to us. The fact that we're punishing students for something out of their control this year and and saying that this is in their best interest to hold them back another year is just nonsensical to us. So what we're focusing on now and, and what we focused on over the summer was letting parents know that they had options, that just because they were receiving a letter from the Department of Education saying your child was eligible for retention did not mean that they had to accept that as the inevitable outcome. And many parents ultimately chose to to utilize the waiver in that law to allow their child to move forward, because that's ultimately what studies show is in their best interest. And yes, we have a lot of work to do to help these students recover and get back on track for success. There's This is not a situation in which anyone sees those numbers 
and says this is acceptable, it's a question of what is ultimately best for that child to get them caught back up. And what we fundamentally believe is that it's allowing them to move forward, but making sure we have a lot of wraparound services available this year in particular, which we do thanks to a lot of that federal funding that's coming in to support schools for the next couple of years to provide these students with one-on-one tutoring and reading coaching and everything we can be doing this year to ensure that child is catching back up and getting back on track to being at grade level reading. So it's disappointing that this law even exists and that it was being attempted to be implemented in a pandemic year, but we're 100% focused on on making sure we're doing everything we can for these students to get them back up to to grade level. This upcoming year looks like it is promising to be also weird in a different way. I mean, we're already seeing students who are missing lots of school, uh, entire classes being, you know, put into quarantine. I mean, that's creating another different set of problems than just having everybody be online. So I guess what is the plan going forward for this coming year and those standardized tests that are going to be coming up? I guess, how do you how do you balance? And is there a way for districts to just sort of say, hey, we can't do this again? Yeah, it's it's frustrating for every educator in Michigan right now, because, you know, last year there was uh, certainty in the uncertainty of of what the year was going to look like. And this year there's an expectation of, quote unquote, normal. But it's not really the reality of what we're seeing. Like you said, there are classrooms that are already being put into some level of quarantine. There's students that are getting sick. You know, there's a, there's a possibility that entire schools may be shut down by a health department and there isn't the flexibility in place this year in the law to simply shift students to remote learning. In fact, if a school were to do that right now, based on the law, they may be punished for that in terms of not meeting their actual classroom hours that are required. So you know, educators are doing their best right now. And that's, you know, the most important thing I can emphasize here is that there are a lot of issues outside of the control of a superintendent right now, a superintendent, a teacher, these people are are people that are uh, dedicated to education. They have studied, you know, the best ways of learning and administering a school district. But one thing they are not are virologists or epidemiologists, and they are relying on those people, the local health departments, the state health department, to help them make the right decisions of what's ultimately going to keep students in class and in class safely, because that's what's best for their education right now. There's no doubt about that, that we don't want to see this go back to remote learning. We want students in class, but we want that done safely. And so, you know, there's a controversy out there about what may be the best way of doing that, what's in these students' best interest. But one thing people just need to understand is that educators are doing their best to do what's right for these students right now. And when those decisions get made, instead of arguing about it or, or, or going to a school board meeting and demanding something be done differently, let's just have a little respect that we're all trying to do our best right now in a very uncertain environment. And everybody needs to be focused on one thing, and it's what's best for these kids right now. Bob, you worked closely with Gretchen Whitmer when she was the uh, state Senate minority leader. Um, You were her spokesperson at the time. You guys have been, K-12 Alliance has been a little critical of how the way that the administration has handled this and not being a little stronger in terms of handing down mandates or being more clear about what schools should be doing. Uh, I know that you're not, you don't work for the governor now, but I'm curious, what are your thoughts about why 
there why she's taking this tack. I mean, I think a lot of people are scratching their heads right now as sort of, you know, the governor uh, had a certain way of handling the pandemic last year early on. And it seems like a lot of that has sort of gone out the window this year. I'm curious what your thoughts are about sort of maybe the calculus there as to why uh, things have changed. I don't want to speak for her or her, you know, her health department as to why any given decision gets made. But, you know, all I can say is that, you know, we've never asked for any specific policy to be put in place. The thing we have asked and 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 made very clear is, again, our superintendents aren't the health experts here. They need clear guidance, not vague recommendations as to what's going to keep these students safe. And so our, our, our frustrations were really more with the idea that you know her office would put out a message that says we're we're hoping superintendents do the right thing. A superintendent can't just guess as to what the right thing is when it comes to a health pandemic. They need again clear guidance, clear expectations and a plan to implement them in proactively. And so again, we're we've never said do a statewide, you know, mask mandate or don't do it. You know, we simply said these are decisions that have to be made either by the state health department or local health departments. Uh, and not put on the, you know, the on the backs of a school board or a superintendent to make on their own. So we've been working, of course, with the county health departments over the last couple of weeks. Uh, those have been very good discussions, proactive discussions. They understand the importance of these decisions getting made correctly and by, you know, led by science. And, uh, you know, we, we expect that to continue. So, you know, in terms of, of what the, the administration's uh, decisions are in the state, I would leave to them to, to explain one way or the other. But I can say our, our work with the, the county health departments has been very productive. Robert McCann is executive director of the K-12 Alliance of Michigan, a statewide education advocacy and policy organization representing more than 100 school districts. Bob, always great to talk with you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on Mishmash. No, thanks to both of you. I appreciate it. And that's all for Mishmash. I'm Shana Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.